0: If you would not mind, open up your copy of Scripture to Luke chapter 19. We're going to read the story of Palm Sunday together. In verse 28, it says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? say, The Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. So Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead to the nearest village to find the colt of a donkey for him to ride into Jerusalem on. Now, Jesus could have either a Prearrange this with its owners, or be supernaturally known where the colt was, and that all that the disciples needed to say was, The Lord needs it, and they would release it to them. Either way, they bring this colt, which has never been ridden before. My parents have horses. If you've been around a horse or a donkey uh, recently, you know just how large and powerful those animals are. So even a colt. Uh, has a lot of power and and is not easily controlled. And this colt has never been ridden on before. So either Jesus is able to calm and settle it by riding it, which is impressive, or he supernaturally settles it just as he had done the storm uh, before with the disciples. But he now has this colt and he is riding into Jerusalem on it. And it's not by accident. It's not random. Uh, It's not just a mode of transportation. Jesus is being very intentional here by choosing a colt that had never been ridden on because he is fulfilling prophecy and he's fulfilling prophecy on purpose. In Zechariah chapter nine, generations before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Zechariah prophesied, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus is being... He's making a choice here. What he's saying is, I am the prophesied king of Zechariah. And what's interesting is his followers recognize what he's doing. Because look how they respond. In verse 35, they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So his disciples take off their, their outer garments and they lay them on the donkey. And then they begin to lay their cloaks on the ground, sort of a red carpet for him to walk on. Now, again, they recognize what Jesus is doing here. He is, he is making a claim that he is the prophesied king of Zechariah. And so they respond with scripture because in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13 Jehu is becoming king, and his followers and friends take off their cloaks. This is years and years and generations before Jesus uh, was born. And and, and Jehu's friends take off their coats, lay them on the ground, and Jehu walks over them on his way to become king. So his disciples, the disciples of Jesus, they recognize, Jesus, you're claiming to be king, and we believe it too. And then it goes on. Verse 37 When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. So the crowd is beginning to swell because Jesus has been doing miracles and he's done one specific miracle lately. He has raised Lazarus from the dead. So everybody in Bethany knows about Lazarus being raised from the dead because that's where Lazarus was from. People in Jerusalem have heard about it as well. So you have a crowd from Bethany walking with Jesus, and then you have people inside Jerusalem coming outside the gates to meet the parade. And they're praising God. And look what they're saying in verse 38. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So they don't just pick random songs. They're not just singing things that come to their mind. Again, the crowd recognizes that Jesus is making a claim to be king, and they are saying, we agree. So they don't just sing any song. They sing Psalm 118. Again, they sing scripture. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What they're doing is they're endorsing Jesus as king. It's political season right now. And when a candidate drops out of the race, they will endorse another candidate. They will say, I believe in this person. Uh, it wasn't me, but I believe in this person. And that's what these, these people are doing. Jesus, we endorse you as king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they go on, and peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, I, I think it's interesting that they don't sing peace on earth. That's what we would expect, peace on earth. But they say peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. What they're saying is, God, we recognize that you are working. We recognize that the plan of God in heaven is now in motion and we agree with it. Now, here's what I find really interesting. God was at work and the people recognized it. But what happens when Jesus goes into that city? He's not warmly embraced. In fact, by the end of the week, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be falsely convicted. And he's going to be crucified. But they were right. God was at work. The plan of God was in motion. And I think that's important for us right now. Because we fall into this trap when good is happening, we believe God is near. But when bad is happening, we assume God has left the premises. Uh, If you've ever seen somebody uh, at a basketball game... Uh, spinning the, the the balls on their fingers. And and even some, uh, they'll lay down or they'll sit down and they'll spin one on their knee and one on their foot and one on their hip and, and then on their fingers and even on their head. And they'll do those at the same time. Uh, you'll notice that when one of the balls starts to wobble, they spin that one again and then they move on um, fixing the balls that are wobbling. And I think that we we have that theology. When when everything is spinning just right and it's going perfectly, God is near. He's helping. He's, he's got a plan. He's working that plan. But when things start to get shaky and, and wobbly, we assume that God is not paying attention. But this shows us that, that that's not true, that God is always near, whether things are spinning perfectly or not. There's peace in heaven. God has a plan. And he is enacting that plan, you know, which makes it hard to understand what's happening to us right now. If God has a plan, why is, why is all this happening? Uh, my dad is a Mr. Fix It. Uh, I've told you before, but I have never seen a repairman in my parents' house, not in, in any of the years that I was living with him and, and not since. My dad can fix everything. He is Mr. Fix It. Something breaks, you bring it to him. Something's not working properly. You bring it to him, and he's able to fix it. And and we want God to be like that. We want God to be our fix-it. But what the Scripture tells us about God is that he is a shepherd. And I think that there is a difference between a shepherd and a Mr. Fix-it. The Scripture does not promise us that God will fix all of the things that are broken about us and in our lives In in our world. But what it does promise us is that God is a shepherd who will lead us through it. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. What happens? He shepherds his sheep to green pastures and still waters. He shepherds his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. He shepherds his sheep in front of their enemies. In fact, prepares a table for them. And and how does Psalm 23 end? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God shepherds us until we are with Him totally and completely. And so right now it's hard for us to understand, God, if you have a plan, why are you not fixing everything that's going on? And God has made a promise to us to shepherd us through it. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, the Pharisees are frustrated for two reasons. Uh, first, they're nervous because Jesus is making a claim to be king. And at the moment, the Roman Empire is in charge of Jerusalem and all of Israel. There's a hierarchy, there's some local government. Uh, led by the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, who report up to a Roman governor, who reports back to Rome, who reports to the emperor. And so if the emperor finds out that someone has paraded into one of his cities, claiming to be king, Rome may come and squash Jerusalem with an iron fist. The Pharisees are concerned about this, but they're also concerned because they don't believe that Jesus is actually that prophesied king from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and they don't want all of the people believing that. So they say to Jesus, keep your disciples quiet. Verse 40, I tell you, Jesus replies, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Meaning, if they don't sing my praises, if they don't endorse me as king, then the very rocks, and maybe he's thinking about the stone walls of Jerusalem, these stones, these rocks are going to cry out and endorse me as king. I love the fact that Jesus is is acknowledging that creation knows who he is, which makes sense because Colossians chapter 1 says that everything that was created, things that we can see, things that we can't see, were created by him, uh, through him, and for him. And Jesus was lifting up one of these rocks and saying, this rock knows who I am, and these people know who I am, and so I'm not going to keep them quiet. So I think the question that you and I need to ask ourselves today while we're sitting here in the comfort of our living rooms is, um, do rocks have more faith than we do? Do rocks have a greater understanding of who Christ is than we do. Verse 41. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you, you and you, the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And Jesus was right in A.D. 70. The Roman Empire surrounded Jerusalem and burnt it to the ground. But Jesus is heartbroken here because he, he can see that coming in the future because the people have rejected what God has done. And it says that he's, he, he starts weeping. Um, which was a, an, an ugly cry. It, it's one of those cries that you can't really control that just, that just come out of you. He, he's brokenhearted for the people of Israel. And notice that he's not brokenhearted because they are going to reject him. That he, he's not brokenhearted for himself. He hurts because they are turning their back on the plan that God has. God has come to save them. And they have said, we don't want to go. And why? Because it was hidden from their eyes. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the apostle Paul prays for the Ephesians by saying that he wants the eyes of their hearts enlightened. He he wants the eyes of their hearts able to see. And, and that's how I want to end today. I want to end today with a prayer that we would be able to see that Jesus is King. The prophesied King of Zechariah nine, The King of Israel. The King of the world. That we would be able to see it. And then I want us to pray for people who uh, their eyes are still not able to see maybe our family, maybe our friends, maybe our neighbors, that through this virus and the pause that it seems that the whole world is on, that God would use this to help us all see Jesus clearly and endorse him as king. So I'm going to pray, uh, but if you're with others this morning, I'd encourage, instead of listening to me pray, why don't you pray. Why don't somebody in your family or somebody in your home, among your friends right now, uh, pray that we, as followers of Jesus, would see him clearly and that people around us, people in the world, would see Jesus clearly as well. So, Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit living in us, that you would help us to see Jesus, to know him, to understand him, I pray for all of our friends and family who don't yet believe. We pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, and we pray that you would use this virus and everything that the world is going through, that you would use it to bring people to Christ. It's what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.